Welcome to the Mind Game. Well, hey, what is up, Northridge Church, man? It's great to be with you. Thanks for joining us, whether you're online or at one of our campuses. We're honored and excited that you're here. And thanks for just investing in your spiritual walk with Jesus Christ. And I, I say this every weekend, welcome home. You know, we really do desire that, that this place would feel like a family. And so if you're a first-time guest or a regular attender, we want you to notice that difference. We want you to notice, man, from the moment you walk into one of the, our buildings or the, the time you leave, that we are are a family that cares and loves for each other differently than maybe what you've experienced. And, you know, last week I, I got to experience those words in a tangible way. Uh, because I, you know, last week I shared some struggles that I had throughout this really difficult season that we all had to navigate. And I was overwhelmed uh, just with letters, with cards, with emails of just encouragement of my family, you guys, loving on me. And so thank you for that and for everybody. Welcome home and welcome to Northridge Church. If you got your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and Genesis chapter 39. We're going to be in both of those places today. We're going to start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and then we're going to work our way to Genesis chapter 39. I'd encourage you to follow along, jump into the Northridge Church app. You can take notes, and you'll want to have those notes as you discuss about this stuff in your community group, and as God continues to remind you of some of the, the choices and the things he taught you throughout this week. And so we'll start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The apostle Paul is speaking to the church in Thessalonica, and, and here's what he says in verse 3. He says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Now, for a second, let's just pause here because isn't that what everybody wants to know? What is God's will for my life? I promise you, if you're a follower of Christ, at some point in your life, when you're making a decision, you're going to want to know the answer to that question. What does God want from me? What does God want for me? Like, what is his will in my life in this area or that area, right? We all ask that question. And the Apostle Paul answers it for us. He says, God's will for you as a Christ follower is to be sanctified. Now, if that's the will of God for me in my life and for you in your life, we've got to answer, answer the question, what is sanctification? Sanctification is a churchy word, really, that just means the process of being set apart. The process of looking different. You see, sanctification in my life and in your life is when Christ becomes more and I become less, where I begin to look more like Jesus each and every day. That's what it means to be sanctified, right? And, and if you're a follower of Christ, you've given him your life, you, you believe in his forgiveness, his death and his resurrection on that cross, and he's the leader of your life, you are in the sanctification process. Right, whether you've been following Jesus for one day or 45 years, the goal never stops. That I, that you would look more like Jesus each and every day. And that journey doesn't stop until we meet Jesus. It is God's will for our lives. That we would be sanctified. How does that happen though? Right, what does sanctification look like? Well, Paul, in a, to a different church in Rome, he says this. It's our theme verse for this series. He says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. So that's actually the opposite of sanctification, right? To conform to society's standards, to look like the world. Sanctification is being set apart. So it's not conforming, but as Paul says, it's actually being transformed, being sanctified. Well, how does that happen? He says, by the renewing of your mind. And that's why we started this series called The Mind Game that God would renew our minds with the battles that we face regularly, that he would give us a new perspective, that we could be sanctified here so it would change our actions. And so Paul says, you are sanctified by the renewing of your 
minds. So he says, it's God's will for that to happen. But he continues. He gives us evidence of the sanctification process. He says, it's God's will that you should be sanctified. And here's the evidence of it working. It's taking place that you should avoid sexual immorality. Paul says, you want want to have some evidence of your sanctification? You'll actually avoid something that is plaguing our society. Something that is haunting people every day is this battle against sexual immorality. When you've been sanctified, you avoid that very thing. And so here's the question. What causes sexual immorality? Well, it's our topic today. It's a very small but yet potent word. It's the word lust. Lust. You see, let me catch everybody up. We've been in this series. We just started it last week. The series is called The Mind Game. And what we're doing is you can break the series up into two parts. The first part is I'm going to tackle the, the, the battles we face in our head daily, things that we struggle with. And we started this series last week with the battle of depression, that through a significantly hard year, many of us dealt with darkness, dealt with hard circumstances, dealt with a, a diminishing hope. And I'd encourage you, if you didn't listen to that message, just to go back online, it's free, you can watch it, because I've heard from numerous people of how impactful it's been in their lives. And so we started with depression, and today we're going to talk about the battle in our minds with this word called lust. And here's the reality, we all battle with it. It's a battle that is raging in our society, and it hasn't avoided the church. It's prevalent in God's church today. And so what is lust? Let's define it. Lust is a sexual desire that dishonors its object and disregards God. So when you choose to lust, you do two things. You dishonor the very person that you are lusting after, and you are disregarding the commands that God has clearly stated in his word. Right? That's what lust is. And let me pause here for a second because I don't want this to be confused. Right? Sexual desire or sex is a good thing. It's a God-created thing. The problem is, is God designed something perfectly, but we've corrupted it with this word called lust. And so the problem today is not your sexual desires. It's allowing them to be corrupted by things like lust. And if you don't think that lust is a problem in our society today, you're not paying attention. You're just living under a rock because one of the biggest industries in our society today is the pornographic industry, the porn industry. And guess what it's doing? It's wreaking havoc on so many minds. It's distorting the way we think and the way we view relationships. And let me just share some stats with you. Right? These stats hopefully will break your heart, but 51% of kids 11 to 13 years old have engaged with pornography. You want to go up a couple ages, 14 to 15, the number goes up to 66%. You go to 16 and 17-year-olds, 79% of them have engaged with pornography. Right? And here's, here's what's crazy. 75% of parents don't believe that their kids have experienced pornography, but 53% of those kids self-admitted they had, right? It's changing the way we think about something that God has created. In 2019 alone, one year, one year, the equivalent of nearly 6,650 centuries of porn was watched on one of the largest porn sites. I can't even fathom how how big of a number that is. 6,650 centuries of porn were watched in one year. 
As of October 2020, according to all the analysis of the most trafficked websites in the world, of the top 10, two of them were pornographic sites. And so lust is obviously a ginormous problem in our society, and the truth is, whether we want to admit it or not, it's a problem in God's church. And it's not just a mind thing, it's affecting the way we behave. You think about marriages for a second, up to 40% of marriages end in divorce because of infidelity, of cheating, and where does that start? It starts right here with the battle of lust. And so here's a couple of things we have to understand about lust. When we choose to lust, we check two boxes. The first box that we check is we ignore what God says about sexuality, right? We ignore, we disregard what God has clearly commanded to his followers. And this should be obvious to us, right? I hope that we know that lust is not something that as a Christ follower should be true about us. But what we often miss is how inherently self-destructive lust is. Because we have to remember, God created sex. He designed it. He knows how to enjoy it to its fullest, and he has the keys to that. And so when you go against God's instructions for sex, you're not going to get a better outcome. It will always be worse in the end. And here's where lust gets us. Right? Here's the hook of lust. Here's, here's where it's this slippery slope because lust seems more fun for a time, but it always ends up more harmful in the end. Right? Here's the truth. Like, listen to me. If you're a young person today, college age, teenager, and you're trying to figure it all out, here's what lust is going to tell you. You're missing out. It's going to tell you that look at the party and look at the fun, but guess what you don't see behind that fun is you don't see the meetings I'm in every single week with people who wish they didn't go after the fun because of the, fun, the damage the fun did in their life. And I'm telling you today, you're going to think you're missing out, but God's way for your sexuality is the best. And when we choose to lust, we disregard what God has to say about our sexuality. And so let's press in for a second. Anytime you have a sexual desire for someone other than your spouse, you are lusting. Let me say it again, because I want it to press into my heart and your heart. Anytime anyone has a sexual desire for somebody other than their spouse, you're lusting. End of story, no excuses. It doesn't matter the object of your sexual desire, whether that person is married or single, same sex as you or opposite sex, older or younger. If the person is not your spouse, it's irrelevant. It's a no-go. It's a violation of God's standards in his word. And so let me, let me press in. Let's go a little bit deeper. If you're single here today and you're listening, whether online or in person, here's what you need to understand. And I, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to warn you up front, you're not going to like this. This is not going to be popular, but here's my promise to our church is I will always stand on the truth of God's word, even if it's popular or not. And the truth is, if you're single today, there are zero acceptable objects of your sexual desire, right? Until you get married, there are zero acceptable people that you can express your sexual desire to. That's the way God created it. And if you're married here today, there's only one, and that is your spouse, your husband, or your wife. Anything outside of those bounds, you are disregarding what God has to say. And for some reason, you believe you know better than the person who created the very thing you're enjoying. We disregard God. The second box that lust checks is it's self-serving and unloving to the object of your lust. 
I think in society, we have seen over and over again where lust takes people. It crushes people. It dishonors people. And here's why we like lust. Here's why it's such a battle in our minds, because it's inherently selfish. And we, as sinners, are inherently selfish. We think constantly about ourselves. And this is why we like lust. This is why we struggle with it. Because it's all about us. It's all about me, myself, my pleasures. And it doesn't really care about the person we're lusting after. It's not concerned. It's actually very dishonoring to that person that we lust after. Because we see them only as an object to be desired, to be used, and then disregarded. And we're called as Christians to love others, not dishonor them. And so when we choose to lust, we check two boxes. We disregard God and we disregard others. And so the Apostle Paul says, you want to know God's will in your life? God's will is that you would be sanctified, that you would be different, that you wouldn't conform to the world, that you wouldn't struggle with the same things the world does, that you'd be sanctified, that Christ would be loud in your life. And the evidence of that is you would avoid sexual immorality. But he continues in verse 4, he says that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And so here the Apostle Paul makes a clear distinction between two types of people. He says there should be a difference between someone who's been sanctified by Christ, that their life should be holy and honorable. It should be different than someone who's running around enraged in lust. And the difference between these two types of people is the sanctified person that the Spirit of God is living in should be able to control their own body when it comes to sexual activity. So the question is, how do I control my body, right? How do I, how do I win this? And here's what's interesting, is it's not in the actions of a, your body, but you start with your mind. Because lust is a battle in your brain before it's ever an action of your body. Lust, the roots of lust, actually begin right here rather than the action that you see. Because think about it, before you ever did anything regrettable or stupid, you usually think about it over and over again. You scheme it, you plan it, and the battle begins not with your actions, but in your head. And guess who understood this? Jesus. Right? Because in his culture, what was, what was told in the law is you shouldn't commit adultery, right? That was like, don't do the action. But look how Jesus teaches it. He says this in Matthew 5. He says, you have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. So everybody said, don't do the action. Don't do the action. The action is bad. But look at Jesus changing, his, changing the teaching. He says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, Jesus changes the standard because he understood that the battle is not with your actions. It's with your mind because your mind, the battle rages here before anything happens with your actions. Lust is a battle in your brain before it's an action in your body. And so the question that we should ask, if, if God will, if for my life is to be sanctified, to look different, the question we should be asking as Christ followers is how can we win the battle with lust? Let's just not pretend like we don't fight it, okay? Like, let's, let's get past that, right? Like, no, no, I got it all together. No, no, we don't. Lust is a battle we face every single day. And can I tell you, you're not alone. This pastor knows the battle with it. He gets it. He can relate to you because he's not void of it. And so how do I and how do you fight the battle against lust? Well, we go to Genesis chapter 39 because here in Genesis 39, we see a living, breathing example of someone who won the battle. His name is Joseph. Let me give you the backdrop of this story. Joseph was born into a family of 12. 
And he was the youngest and he was the favorite. Why is the youngest always the favorite? So everybody knew he was the favorite too. All of his brothers, his dad made it obvious he was the favorite and his brothers hated him for it. They hated him so much they sold him into slavery and told their dad an animal ate him. Right, So he ends up in Egypt being purchased by Potiphar as a slave. And Potiphar was a, a commander in the Egyptian hierarchy. And so he finds himself as a slave and he begins to experience success. And that success in Joseph's life begins to attract his master's wife. Where she wants him, she desires him. And through Joseph's story, I think we're going to see four ways that you and I can win the battle with lust the same way Joseph did. And I think the first one is Joseph made the choice before he had to make the choice. I think this is so crucial in our lives. I think you as a man or a woman, you have to decide, who do you want to be? You have to make the choice before you ever get in the battlefield. This is the character that I want. This is the person I want to be. I want to be a godly man or woman. And you have to choose that before you ever get into a circumstances where you're faced with that choice. I believe as we look through Joseph's life, we will see his character was, he made a choice. I want to be a godly man who honors God with my life in every area. And we have to get to that place before we ever face the battle or the temptation where we draw the lines that we're not willing to cross. Where we decide in our minds before the battle begins, this is who I want to be. Right? And so we pick up the story, Genesis 39. It says, now Drew was a well-built and handsome I know, it's free. Why are you guys laughing? <laughs> anyway, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. So Joseph is described like every man wishes they were described, right? Well-built and handsome. And not only is he well-built and handsome, he's that GQ model who is successful. And as he's experiencing success because God is blessing him, it attracts someone. It's his master's wife. And she offers him this invitation, this temptation, come to bed with me. I mean, no one ever wants to be in those shoes, right? And unfortunately for me, I get this circumstance all too well because I've lived it. I haven't shared this story with many people in my life, but when I was in Bible college. I was a freshman and I played college basketball. And so we, throughout the weeks in the season, we were often traveling from, you know, city to city, place to place. And we traveled with the, the women's basketball team. And we were, we, you know, we would often do that. And there was a couple who always traveled with us. They were a great source of encouragement. And I was drawn to the husband because anytime I had a bad game, he would always be that voice to like pick me back up and get me back in there. And what started as an amazing friendship with a husband and a wife begin to quickly take a turn. Because throughout the season, his wife would continuously text me really weird and inappropriate texts. Texts that I didn't really feel comfortable answering. Things that seemed to go across boundaries until one day I understood exactly what it was because she texted me, hey, my husband's gone, I'm alone, and I want you to come over. I mean, I was faced with an incredibly hard decision to make. And here's what I believe saved me in that moment. It was when I was 15 and 16 years old. Because when I was a young man, 15 and 16, I made a choice that I wanted to save myself for my future bride. 
Because I believe that's what God's standard was for my life. And that decision saved my life and my future marriage when I was 20 years old. Where I could look at a woman and say, no, that's not God's best for me. Because I made the choice before I ever had to make the choice. And some of us today, we we can't just think when we get into the battlefield, we'll be really good at it. You won't be. You will often fail. But if you choose to become a godly man or woman before you ever get to the battlefield, it will benefit you greatly. And I believe Joseph did that. The second thing I think Joseph did to win the battle with lust is he understood that what God wanted for him was better than anything he could dream up for himself. Guys, we have to get here in every area of our life where we understand that what God has in store for us is best. We have to convince ourselves, even as appealing as the world seems, even as as drawn as we are, God's way is always best, especially when it comes to our sexuality. We have to believe that. We have to to experience it and know when I follow God's trajectory of my life, it always leads me to greener pastures, right? I love when the world catches up with God. I love it. And when it comes to sexuality, if you read the book, Swipe Right, there's a lot of, uh, of data that points to God's way of sexuality actually being the best. Let me share some of those with you. It says this, those who don't have a background In pornography or sex before marriage, guess what? They have better sex in their marriage. Hmm, makes sense. That's the way God designed it to be. Listen to this. Sexually active singles have the most sexual problems. They get the least pleasure out of sex and are more likely to experience depression. Why is that? Because they think their way is better than God's way and you deal with the repercussions, you don't get a better outcome. It always is worse in the end. Married couples reported to be the hap- to experience the happiest satisfaction with sex in their lives because they're enjoying it in the context God created it to be. And we have to believe Even though it might seem old-fashioned and antiquated, it might not seem like fun, it is the best for us. God holds the keys to our best, and we have to believe that. And Joseph, I believe, he made the choice before he had to make the choice. He knew God's route was the best, and because of that, when Potiphar's wife said, come to bed with me, here's how he responded. Verse 8, he says, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in the house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Why? Because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now notice that last line. Joseph says, how could I do such a wicked thing? Not sin against Potiphar, but sin against God. Because sinning against God was bigger to Joseph than anybody's feelings. His relationship with God was the ultimate, the highest, the most driving factor in the choices that he made. And in the process, here's what happened. Joseph honored God, and through that, he honored Potiphar's wife. Something that's missing in our society, I think, today is broken, is is us honoring women. And here's what's interesting. Joseph didn't give Potiphar's wife what she wanted, but he honored her instead. His rejecting seems like dishonor, but it wasn't. It was more honoring to look out for her best interests. And so Joseph knew that God's way was best. 
But this temptation wouldn't go away. This wasn't like a one-time journey for Joseph. And so the next thing he did to win the battle is he removed himself from the situation or the temptation. Right? This is one thing that we have to learn is that t- temptation comes after us over and over again. And one of the best things we can do with the battle of lust is just remove yourself from the situation. Remove yourself from the temptation. Look what Joseph does, 10. It says, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, day after day, she said, Joseph, come on, it'll be fun. Joseph, come on, just come to bed with me. He refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. You see, Joseph realized that this temptation wasn't going away. And so what did he do? He removed it. Right? You can't control other people, but you can control your own actions. Right? Too many of us today, we step into lust and we blame somebody else. <laughs> but the truth is today, you can control your own actions. And Joseph says, hey, listen, if you're going to keep coming after me, listen, I just won't be around you. And the problem with many of us is, is we, don't, we, don't, we don't get out of the situation. We flirt with the situation. We like our temptation, right? It feels good. We like the attention. And the problem is, is if you hang around your temptation long enough, it's going to bite you where it hurts. And so for many of you, some of you today, you're struggling with pornography, right? I said it, like it's out there. It's a battle that many people face, men and women. And honestly, one of the best things that you can do to win the battle is just don't be alone with your cell phone or your computer, right? Just work in public with those things. If you live alone, work at the office or go find a friend, like help yourself, remove the temptation altogether. Joseph has removed Potiphar's wife from his circumstances. Some of you flirt with people of the opposite sex at your job, right? You're married. And it's like, why would you put yourself in that situation? Put filtering software on your devices and your routers. Get, do whatever you can to remove the situation. Temptation comes and assaults us every day. Why would we hang around it? Because here's my promise to you. If you flirt with temptation long enough, if you let lust linger, it'll cost you. It'll cost you greatly. Because small leaks sink big ships. Remove yourself from the situation. But here's the reality. Joseph does everything right, right? He makes the choice before he had to make the choice. He believed God's best. He trusted God's plan for his life. He removed himself from the situation, and yet still he finds himself in a really precarious situation, right? And here's what we do. If you're caught in a bad circumstance, the only thing you do is run. You run from that situation. Look what happens to Joseph. It says, one day he went into the house to attend his duties. And none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. You see, Joseph did everything right. right? He did everything right. And yet he still finds himself in a really difficult circumstance. And just because you make all the right choices, you know, hey, you got to give Potiphar's wife a little bit of credit, right? She really worked hard for what she wanted. And so she removes all the repercussions, right? All the servants are God. Joseph, no one will notice. No one's going to see. You don't have to worry about anything. Let's just have this moment. Let's, Let's have a good time and let's move on. 
And you notice Joseph doesn't like stand up and like lecture her. Like, let me tell you something. No, you know what he does? He runs for his life. He gets the heck out of there. He's not tough. He doesn't fight the battle. He just runs from the situation. And man, if you don't remember anything today in your struggle with lust, just remember the word run. Run. I mean, this is, it's literally biblical. First Corinthians, the apostle Paul says, you want to know what you do with sexual immorality? You want to know what you do with lust? You flee from it. You run from it. That's like Greek and Hebrew from like sprint. Get the heck out of Dodge. Let's go. And here's the reality. When you find yourself alone with your computer, when you find yourself in a precarious situation with someone you've been flirting with at work and you don't know what to do, let me tell you, you run out of that circumstance. Because maybe the the most biblical thing like running will save your marriage. It'll save your future marriage. It will save your kids from having to go from family to family on the weekends. It will save you. Just a simple act of saying, I'm going to get the heck out of here. Can you imagine if Joseph stayed? Can you imagine what his life would look like if he didn't run? How would the story read differently? Here's the problem. Most of us don't flee sexual immorality. We flirt with it. And you flirt with it long enough, you'll regret it. It'll cost you. And man, I I don't want that for your life. I want what Paul says. I want you to experience God's will, which is sanctification, where the power of the Holy Spirit living in you makes you look different, where you win the battle with lust. And so I want to offer you three three practical things that will help you. Maybe you're here today and you are struggling with lust. Can I tell you, you don't have to be embarrassed. And can I tell you, you're not alone. Right, I, I, part of this series is breaking the stigma that the devil wants you to believe that you're the only person battling what you're battling. Well, can I tell you you're not? And can I tell you this place is a place where it's okay not to be okay? If it's not, I'm the first to leave. So if you're here today and you're battling with lust or pornography or making poor choices with your sexuality, we desperately want to help. And here's three ways. Number one, our counseling team has been working for months on offering you resources, a growth plan to help you overcome this battle. And if you want that, if you just go to iwant.info, you give us your name. There's a banner that says growth plan lust. You'll see up there too, there's a growth plan for depression. If you missed it last week and you need help, you can click on either of those banners or both of those banners and our counseling team will send you those resources to help you win the battle. As you leave here today, you'll notice all seven weeks of this series, you're going to get one of these. It's a designed uh, scripture memory. So there's a verse on a piece of card, and the whole point is for you to memorize it, right? What does the Bible say? We hide God's word in our hearts so we won't what? So we won't sin against him. And you know what? Kudos for every one of you. I didn't find a single card out in the lobby last week. Yeah, good job. You can download those online. Yeah, hide those in your heart because maybe you find yourself in a place of temptation And maybe you just, you run, and while you run, you tell yourself that verse. I will save you. Third, we just started a new trimester of community groups. I don't know what I got to say. If you're not in a group, what do I have to say to get you in a group? Right, what do I need to do? You tell me. I'll dance on this stage. You got one week. I'm going to be gone for a little bit. But like, hey, you, you let me know. I just desperately want to surround you with community that will help you love the Lord and walk with him. Right, like just 
Just get plugged in. I don't know what's stopping you. You let me know. We'll help you find that place. And here's the, here's the great news. About 90% of our church is in groups. So you're the minority if you're not in a group. You're missing out. And if you're in a group, don't check the box. Right? Show up there and engage. If you're struggling, be real and honest and invite accountability into your lives. I think those three things will help you win the battle with lust. But here's what I know. When you talk about a, top, a topic like this, sexuality and lust, what often surfaces in a lot of people's heads and hearts is regret. Right? Because I know for many of us, maybe we've made some poor choices where we look back at our past and it brings up some pain and hurt of choices that we made that we wish we never did. And it's hard and it's difficult. And here's what I want you to understand from my heart to you is I'm not trying to condemn you of your past today. I'm here to fight for your future. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? We all have past, chalked full of sin, but because of Jesus' death and resurrection, he doesn't condemn us of our past. He points us to our future in him. And today, you have a future in Jesus Christ where you can win the battle in your mind with lust. And that is my prayer for you. So would you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you because of Jesus. We have the ability to win only because of Jesus. So God, I pray for the person right now who's, who's battling maybe an addiction to pornography, someone who's making choices to flirt with people that aren't their spouse, for the single person who's wrestling through sexuality. God, just help us to believe one thing, that your way is best, that what you have in store for us is greater than anything else that this world could offer us. If we believe that, it will change the way we do things today. In Jesus' name, amen.